Welcome back to Price Plow. On January 17th of 2020, a major indictment was published along with a recall notice and a press release regarding a company out of the Northeast known as ABH Pharma for allegedly manufacturing and producing many adulterated supplements and many supplements that did not meet label claims. The indictment named the, their owner one Mohammed Jahirul Islam and three other uh, companies, but mostly ABH Pharma as well as ABH Nature's Products and StockNutra.com and announced that between around 2013 and 2019, they had several different batches of supplements that did not meet label claims. And despite several different attempts to re-inspect and retrain and work with the FDA, at some point the FDA and the Department of Justice simply had had enough with this individual and with this company. So they moved towards this indictment and got the manufacturer shut down. Now on this podcast, we actually have two other manufacturers come on to discuss this. One is Mark Glazier of Nutribio, who's been on this podcast several times and runs his own in-house manufacturing in New Jersey for his own brand and no other brands. And the second was Brent Laffey of Armada Nutrition, who is a contract manufacturer in Tennessee. Ben also joins us here, and we get to talk about what happened here, what was going wrong, and what manufacturers and brands can do to make sure that they are protected, because the brands are ultimately the ones who are liable for what is, uh, you know, what their products contain. And we get into some of those laws, and we also talk about what the industry needs to do moving forward. And we talk about, of course, that this supplement industry is not unregulated and that there is enforcement and sometimes in fact we'd like to see a little bit more enforcement along these lines because some people have been defrauded by the bad manufacturers so with no further ado here is brent mark ben and i to talk about the abh scandal of 2020 which of course was whitewashed by other things in 2020 Welcome to Price Plow, everyone. My name is Mike Roberto. I'm here with my co-host, uh, Ben Kane, and we are here with Mark Glazier of Nutribio in the bottom right corner is my uh, my screen as we see it, and Brent Laffey of Armada Nutrition. And today is uh, January 29th of 2020, and it's about a week or so after a very, very major piece of news has dropped. There was an indictment and a major FDA recall coming from a contract manufacturer known as ABH. And uh, we're calling this the ABH 859 situation because there are up to 859 brands who uh, worked with this company over the past seven or eight years. And many of them may have to recall product because this contract manufacturer was not, uh, was not following the laws basically. And this is the supplement industry, despite what the mainstream media may say, it is a regulated industry. And that's what we wanna talk about today. So Mark Glazer of Nutribio uh, manufactures own supplements and Brent at Armada is a contract manufacturer. Mark's been on this channel many times so I'd like to, to start off with allowing Brent to introduce himself and we could talk about maybe some of the things that happen behind the scenes there but uh, Brent's a face that we don't often see publicly because you often see the brands that contract with him rather than, uh, than the, the manufacturer themselves. But this is an important situation. We wanted to show that there are really good guys and really good companies out there. So, uh, and the first people we thought of were Armada Nutrition. So welcome aboard, Brent. And uh, yeah, you have the floor. Well, thanks for the kind words. And yeah, contract manufacturers are kind of like uh, radio faces. We stay behind the scenes. We're not too pretty. So uh, it's nice to show our faces once in a while. But um, 
No, um, we're excited about this topic. Um, Armada um, really wants to help spread the good word with brands like Nutribio and other brands that this industry doesn't have to be perceived as the wild, wild west. Um, I come from a background actually more from a um, consumer side in the nutrition space and then also worked for a manufacturer of ingredients and distributor where we started Armada. So we actually formed it through vertical integration. Part of it is um, owning the supply chain more than most contract manufacturers do. Some of it was for commercial reasons, but the premise of starting Armada was to be as vertical integrated as we possibly could in this industry to have less variables from quality to supply chain issues. Great, thanks. And Mark, how about a brief introduction? You've been doing this for quite a while. You've been manufacturing for a while. So, but you only manufacture for Nutribio, your own brand. Uh, yeah, we started back in uh, 1996. Uh, started manufacturing around 2001. So we've been manufacturing a, a little under 20 years. So we manufacture about 300, 300 or so different SKUs out of the facility here. I got into manufacturing uh, just to be able to control the quality of the product uh, from choice of raw materials right to the finished product. So what we do here is we're totally vertically integrated. We do from our labels to uh, we have our own labs here, formulation, uh, and do all aspects of the manufacturing process. And the idea here is, is I'm creating a product for my customer. I want to be able to control that product. I want to know what, what I'm giving them, what's going into their bodies is on the label. I want to be able to control every one of the vendors uh, that I am taking product from. I want to do the testing myself on that and make sure the product that has my name on it is is what it's supposed to be. And that that's the how we got into the manufacturing part of it. Uh, back when I got into this, CFR 111 didn't even exist. So it probably was kind of the wild, wild west back then. Uh, now it's different. It's like Brett said, there's a huge amount of regulations out there. And you know, we've had this conversation before. I get annoyed every time something like this happens and the media picks up on it because all the politicians do the same thing. They get out there and they say, "There's this is the Wild West, exactly what Brett said, using those exact words. That's what the media uses. There's no rules. There's no regulations. These guys are doing whatever they want and we need laws. But there is 21 CFR 111 regulations that really control every aspect of manufacturing. We have uh, a, a lot of regulations. We have CFR 111, probably Brett has to do too, CFR 110, CFR 101, CFR 100. Uh, we have Food Safety Modernization Act, and it all goes back to the Food Drug, uh, the Food Drug and Cosmetic Act. So we have a, a bountiful of, of regulations that say everything that we have to do here. So it's completely different what the media says. The difference is you have good players and bad players, like in any industry, any in the world. Brent's running a great company there. Those are the good players. ABH, that we just saw what happened over there, those are the bad players. Those are the guys we have to get rid of. So you say we, we have to get rid of. It seems like the ABH had been on the FDA's radar since 2012, and it took until like late 2019 for the ball really to drop. Uh, what, what exactly happened? Why does it take so long? Like, I know you both have probably been audited several times, but can you, can you give us a rundown of, like, of the process that went down here? And it seems like there's room for improvement here. We had a bad player running and being monitored for quite a while. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I think it's to me, it is a little amazing after some of the audits I had that, the you know, the can got kicked down the road for so long. Um, anytime we're in here, there's a very strict time frame on a you know, corrective response if there's an issue. Um, obviously, we take it very serious. It's something we're doing that week or the next week. But it is a little bit amazing with some of the things you're seeing that it took a duration of, what, seven, eight years <laughs> in some spots. I can't I've never seen the FDA when they come in here act in that kind of time frame unless they were 
postponing and giving um, corrective actions that were getting reviewed. I, Mark may have more insight to that, but to me, it's amazing it lasted as long as it did. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I have no idea. We, we've had uh, five full CFR 111 uh, audits so far. Our last one was a three-week audit. I mean, the people out there listening to this have to know it's not like when the state comes in uh, to, to audit a restaurant, they're in and out in 30 minutes. I mean, I had an audit here for three weeks, pretty much eight hours a day. I mean, they'll take they'll yeah. 50 batch production records and go through every aspect of that batch production record, asking for the testing of every ingredient, the testing of the finishing ingredient, look at the maintenance on the equipment, the SOPs that were involved in every aspect of the manufacturing, the training logs of every person. I mean, it's insane what they actually do in, in these audits when they've been here, how they've gone through those audits, they issued warning letters, they issued 483s, and let it go from one year to the next, to the next, to the next. I, I don't know. I think there's a backstory maybe that we're not we're not hearing about. Uh, when I first heard about it and I heard they were putting drugs in there, I think I was thinking of maybe there's SARMs or something that they're doing. But when I read everything, I didn't see any anything anything where they were putting outside drugs. And I just saw how they were taking dietary supplements and making drug claims. And that was putting them turning them into a drug. So that wiped that out. So I, I don't know. I think there's something that we don't know about that maybe hasn't come out yet because it's going and going and going like this and all of a sudden hammer that hard. I mean, if they just did something minor right now and did a slight recall or a bad warning letter would be one thing, but they, they recalled 859 brands, every single product made for the last seven years. So they're going back to the time that they've been auditing. For. Right. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that we've seen since the story came out, I, I've spoken to uh, countless um, consultants in the industry, different brands. No one really wants to put, no one wants to sign for their statements. Like, like a lot of people have a lot to say about ABH that have worked with them. And one of the things that I keep hearing is that they've been uh, brokering out deals to other contract manufacturers. And one of the theories was maybe those contract manufacturers they were brokering out to had gotten audited. And that's some of those seven different audits that the FDA claimed that went, but there's only one warning letter. So th there's- You did see some names on there that were not brands. It was right. uh, pre-mixed companies, uh, ingredient companies. So. That's what caught my eye. It was a little bit different, but yeah, I'm sure there's a backstory to that. Whether they sure. were providing premixes or they were taking premixes in and then putting on packaging without understanding what's in the powder, who knows? Right. So there's th there's a lot of theories floating around, but one of the main things that I've seen is because I've seen testing for some products, a lot of the mixtures were completely underdosed or. Uh, Iron Brothers will, will go and state that they were they tested their product and it was so completely underdosed as opposed to what they were told. But the people who the majority of people who came to me and said we used ABH and we had good product were soft gels of some type that were just outsourced from China. So there's there's a lot of different topics getting floating around with ABH. And I mean, I, I saw somebody who uh, had product made by them. They tested it. There was nothing in the product. Yeah. The CFAs and the test results that ABH was sending them, they didn't actually test. They put in what the ingredients were supposed to be on there and it wasn't a test result they just right. uh, we see that they might have been certified by nsf they have a certification from nsf uh i don't know whether that's true i think nsf has to come out and answer to that i don't know if you know anything about that mike uh no not 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 just yet i've seen like you know nsf did have some stuff there was a certification for one year but then they pulled it and then they they removed some information from their website and like i've seen the archives um nothing really incriminating but it's kind of weird that some stuff has been removed about abh from uh the nsf where nsf is actually sending them a warning so it seems like nsf kind of knew things 
were, were happening in 2016, 2017 timeframe. And then that even disappeared from the website. So a lot of weirdness going on. So there, there probably is more behind the scenes. I, I think for, um, for the sake of our viewership, we have a, a mixed bag of consumers, small brands, and then just other influential people in the industry watch. I think the, 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 main, the main concern here is that a lot of people who are consumers are going to have a lack of trust in the industry. And then a lot of, and then I think where Mark's really been hammering things on Facebook is how can small brands know how to prevent getting into this situation in the future? Like, okay, Armada is a great option here, but we'd, we, I'd also like to talk about like, how are, how are, how, how do the smart brands figure this out? Whereas some people got caught with their pants down in this situation. Um, so to, to start it off, like I've always wanted to know where things are manufactured. That's why I like NutriBio. I know I could walk over there and like, and, and just, check it out and shake the man's hand and uh we're talking to him right here so so brent you know we we are lucky enough to have seen your facility in some ghost videos so it can be applied uh, implied or assumed that ghost does at least some if not all manufacturing with with armada and in fact i think you do have a couple ghost tubs right behind you so that that, that kind of helps prove it why and so we know that much, but why why are so many brands so hesitant to say where they manufacture like, i've always kind of been I've, I've always wondered what, what, what the issue is. Is there a legal reason or is there just, it just seems like this is the era of authenticity. This is the era of, yeah. of full disclosure. And it's like a very important thing. Where is this actually bottled and capped? And that's the one thing that a lot of people just don't disclose. Do you have any reasons why? Do you, do you forbid people from saying that they're using you? No, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's a tough situation. I think the brands who do the right thing their reason why they don't want to disclose or have us disclose, I get it's protecting IP. Um, you get a hot brand, even like Ghost, for example. They're very transparent. I like the way they they market and operate, but at the same time, they've opened themselves up where everyone wants to copy the hot brand. So I think mm -hmm. some of them are reluctant to say where they manufacture because maybe they don't necessarily trust their co-man on holding some of their IP flavor systems. I get that, respect that. It's one of the hardest things to manage as a co-man you know you have your business you need to run you have the protection of people's ip and uh you know partnerships really in this so it's tough on the other side i think there's so many not necessarily has to be a small brand but so many brands that i would consider fly by the night they don't want to disclose because maybe they don't even have uh 111 status maybe they i mean you just don't want to go down that road so i think it's one of two the, the brands that are doing the right thing they're their reluctancy is probably protecting their IP. And then there's the other brands who just really don't want you to know that they're getting it made in a spot that's uh, not going to come off on good on video or necessarily even for certifications. Mm -hmm. So but I think the industry, I mean, going to, I mean, Mark's seen this because he started his brand, you said in 96, I think. It doesn't mean small brands can't do the right thing. Um, there, you know, brands like Ghost had seasoned veterans that came in, knew what they were doing, set their company up right. But the problem with social media is so many smaller brands right now, and there's no real barrier of entry to this market. So if you have, like I was saying to you guys earlier, $15,000, you'll find a co-man that will go run 500 units of product. And it's really hard to run 500 units of product and do things the right way from cleaning procedures, having the right staff, all that good stuff. So. The, all these small brands, it's putting a lot of pressure and there's a lot of co-mans who will take that on. And I think sometimes that's where it's a slippery slope. So, Brent, you know, besides just uh, saying, hey, we know where NutriBio is at, we know they publish third-party tests. 
Um, how can a consumer, what can a consumer do to kind of trust this, this process now? Like, and it's tough for you to say anything because you are just, you know, you're just the manufacturer, but you can't just go out and say, hey, we make this and that. So from the consumer's point of view, what do you, like, how would you gain your trust? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough, you got to do some due diligence. I think obviously certifications, there are people who've had issues and recall certifications. First thing is, is it being made in a GMP facility? If it doesn't have that, that's a, obviously something you wouldn't want to get. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the labels and the transparent the labels, you can see now brands who are doing the right thing. NutriBio was kind of first to do that. Full transparency. It gives you confidence in them and their product. But it's hard because you can't really backtrack where they um, make their product. There's only a few brands in the U.S., Mark would know better than I, that probably produce their own product, maybe two or three. Yeah. Uh, you know, just so so you understand, Brent, and everybody else, I manufacture my own products as I I like to talk about the control I have over doing that, but I am not against at all, nor do I think that contract manufacturers are bad or should be used. Uh, I think I said this to yesterday, without contract manufacturers in this industry, we would probably not have an industry today, or it would look totally different because new brands or even existing brands right now cannot start manufacturing and keep up with all these regulations. It would be five years before a brand could actually maybe be in compliance starting from scratch and manufacturing. This industry would not be here. So contract manufacturing is really one of the most important parts of this industry. And I just want to make it clear that I don't put them down when I say I do my own manufacturing. Right. Uh, I, and Mike and I have talked about this before. I think it's a great idea for companies like you or are really on the high end of manufacturing to market your own manufacturing, to show people what you do, to get, you know, out in social media so that brands eventually want to use those top two, three or four manufacturers and put that on there. You know, you have a handful of great manufacturers in this country. And if I was a consumer and I knew of this manufacturer, I can look at this manufacturer, I can go to their website, I can go to their certifications, I can see what they're doing there. It would give me confidence. It would give the brand confidence. We talk about in the in the tequila business. I'm a big tequila aficionado. There's 5,000 brands. There's 125 contract manufacturers out there. But by law, the number of every single uh, distiller has to be on the bottle. So consumers who are into it will pick up a new tequila right off the bat and say, nah, I had too many from here and throw it to the side. Uh, so I think, I, I think that great contract manufacturers should get their name out like Brent's doing right now uh, so that now people can hear him, maybe see videos of you in his facility eventually, hear that ghost manufacturers with him, and they're going to have a lot more confidence in it. So I think the contract manufacturing industry moving in that direction and promoting themselves yeah. could really help in getting – uh, the end brands to want to disclose that because consumers are getting into that. They want to know farm farm to table type thing. They want to know. They're asking all the time, where is this manufactured? And if they told them right now, who, how would they know anyway? You know, oh, it's manufactured in this place. GMP means nothing at all. The FDA does not have the term GMP or CGMP trademark. So anybody could put a GMP logo on on their bottle and we created this little gmp logo years and years ago it's this little red one it's kind of an old that you've probably seen on about three thousand products that have come out they all just took it off the internet from us years ago and and are just using it all so you know it's it's kind of a hard thing to do for a consumer to know when they pick up a bottle off a store shelf where it's manufactured how it's manufactured even if they knew the name uh, name of the manufacturer 
So one of the things that we've we've had a lot of consumers asking recently, where is this manufactured? Uh, how do I know that what's on the label is in the bottle? And, and I, I love these questions being asked. And even James Bacuzzi within the industry brings up a lot like, hey, this is great that you're open label, but that doesn't mean anything really. You could be just lying to all of us until manufacturers market more, until more content is created. How can a brand ensure that they are manufacturing with the right country manufacturer? First of all, the reason I wrote that article last day is I spoke to over two dozen brands who called me. Not one of them realized that the CGMP compliance and, re and regulations are on them. They think once it's manufactured over with breadth, they're done with it. And that is not true. It's on them. They have to make sure that the product they put on the market is compliant with CGMP regulations, every CNGP regulation and all the other regulations. They have obviously the liability if it goes criminal or civil, but even with the FDA, they are required to. We brought up a law and, and that's what that article was about, uh, US, uh, USC 342, that it specifically says, and that's what this whole 859 happened, what happened to this 859 specifically says a, a, a dietary supplement is considered to be adulterated if it's manufactured packed in a facility that does not comply with CNGP regulations. So all these products on the market right now, if that manufacturer is not sure that that product is compliant with CGMP, can be considered adulterated if the FDA goes and looks at that facility. If they test that product, they prove that product is 100% what the label says, it still is adulterated. If they test there's no contaminants in that product, it is still adulterated. The, the meaning of adulterated has many meanings, but one is it must be manufactured in a facility that complies with CGMP. And that's because testing for a product for label claim and, and heavy metals and microbial doesn't prove it's safe. The only way to get a safe product is to have policies and procedures that are put in in advance that eliminate all the issues that could happen and to follow those policies and procedures. So if you're following all those policies and procedures of a CGMP facility and then you test your product to see it makes label claim and all that, you have a safe a safe product. So I think the first thing is all these especially little brands get in there and just like Brent said, they have $15,000, they call the manufacturer, they'll get the product made. They have so many issues. You can see how their labels are, are constantly incorrect. Mm -hmm. They're making uh, drug claims all over the place. I, I mean, they have no idea what they're doing. Uh, so they, they it, it's really on them right now, because if you go to a place like Brandt or, or, or a really good contract manufacturer and you don't care and you don't know, then what's the difference? You're gonna take a great product from him, you're gonna mess it up somewhere else with claims. But the, the brand owner, the label owner is responsible for compliance of every single part of GMP. It doesn't say that in CFR at 111, and a lot of brand owners have been arguing with me that, but that still doesn't mean they are not responsible for it because the FDA has taken the position multiple times in warning letters, in 43s, and in other documents that they expect that a flow through of GMP between any of the companies that are involved, that would be the packer, the manufacturer, or the brand owner. You are responsible as a brand owner for every portion of that. Yeah, and I mean, and to add to that too, is most of the brands, I mean, we're making to a specification or a C of A, the brand is ultimately still responsible for the label. So it kind of goes into what Mark is saying is basically, you know, there's a lot of misconception between here's the spec, here's the C of A, we built this. Then there's label claims, there's other claims, there's declaration of ingredients that really goes to the brand. So the brands don't understand that. Right. Um, that they're responsible for that. So totally agree on, on that. 
But I think kind of going back to one of your guys' things, I think the industry needs a lot of the good players to help educate. We're still not there. And I think what um, you guys are saying from a marketing front, we want to actually do a little bit more this year and not say that, hey, we're greater than now, but show behind the scenes that people feel comfortable. Um, here, you know, that we're vertically integrated. We're testing all our inbounds. Um, we have a third-party lab on site, so brands can't act. It's ISO 17025, not um, associated with Armada. And even at that level, you know, we we tell brands that, um, especially in the beginning, it's great to go get a third-party result. Use that to market, right? Make sure you're using someone that's credible that's got ISO 17025, not just the contract manufacturer's testing lab. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that we can do together that can actually market this industry in a better way. Cool. Yeah, so I think if he does things like that and he markets and builds his company in the public, then other, you know, other brands are going to want to go to him. Consumers are going to see it. I think it's a great idea. And then all these companies who are not marketing, nobody knows who they are. Then brands are going to be scared to use these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a great play long term. So a new co- a brand owner comes to you, like you guys said, they've got $15,000 for this lot. They don't really have a lot of other money. How They can test their product, but how can they ensure that you guys are following the right SOPs, like just safety and, and not get contaminant-wise in your own facilities? Can they hire an auditor to come check you out, or well, they, what would you recommend? They have to. If you read the article, I mean, it's a responsibility of them. Right. Before, If I was going to use a contract manufacturer now, the first thing that I would do is I would do just preliminary uh, due diligence. And if you looked at at ABH, all you had to do was go on the internet, you'd find warning letters, 483s out there, you'd find all kinds of, it would at least raise a red flag, you know? You might not stop it because we always see bullshit on the internet because one person's (laughs) complaints, but it raises a red flag. After that, you've got to do a GMP site evaluation inspection and you've got to do a GMP audit. Uh, I don't see how a company is gonna risk everything, all of their passion, that they're putting into building a brand over 5, 10, 15 years by just making a phone call, sending a formula, and having it done. So if I was going to go to Brett, I would, I would make an appointment down there, and I would go down. If I didn't have the ability myself, I would hire a CGMP consultant, not, not a general consultant who does marketing and everything else, because there's no way that they're going to understand the implications. They might sound like they do, but you really need a GMP. And I would go down there and spend a day with Brett, and I would audit. I would look over his facility. I would do a walkthrough. I would look at his SOPs. I would look at uh, MMRs, I look at people, probably not of other companies, so I might not be able to do that on the first one, uh, but I would do a GMP inspection of what he's doing in his manufacturing practices. On an ongoing basis, I would demand that my contract manufacturer show me that. I want to see an MMR of a product. So here's my product, here's my formula. Give me the master manufacturing record of it. And those are that is basically the entire recipe, the ingredients, Watch the manufacturers and the ingredients, the box, the batch, how it's manufactured, what machine, or where it's going through the whole thing. And I can look at that, and I also demand that if you change that MMR, I need to sign off on it. Because if you're going to change something in the manufacturing, if you're going to change an ingredient, if you're going to go from one leucine to another leucine and one is hydrolyzed and one is fermented, I want to sign off on that first. And in my inspection on an annual or so basis, I want to look at, I ask him to pull out 10 of the batch production records. And as he knows, that batch production record is everything. It has a signature of every person who did everything right straight down the line. And I would want to look at that because there's so many games that can be played by these cheesy manufacturers out there. How many of them are really using Creopure, do you think? Right. Come on. You look at your BPR and all of a sudden you see Creatine in there and it doesn't say Creopure, or maybe it does. You take the lot number, you call the company, send them an email, say I'm using this particular lot number. Those are the things that I would do in an audit to make sure that they were done right. Mark's exactly right at so many levels. And I think we've gotten a nice spot where 
the customers coming in here have a pretty high standard and um, they always they want a third party audit. You know, we have BRC, which is really more under the um, the food umbrella for kind of selling into like the Walmart chains. But we also <coughs> run NFF. It's more the dietary supplement. We have a bunch of other audits, but you can bet a lot of our top um, supplement brands every year they come in with their third party, whether whatever brand it may be, but they bring in someone to do an audit on their own. And I think that's great. Although, you know, our quality team now spends legitimately 80% of the year we have an audit going on. So you're building it. I mean, and that's where I get frustrated with the industry is I have X amount of salaries that are just literally handling audits, let alone anything else that I know is not happening in a lot of other places. So why are we slightly a little more expensive sometimes? There's your reason, right? But um, it makes me feel comfortable when the brands actually want to do that. It's just like we kind of have two rules of thumb. If they're not asking and not looking for paperwork or not doing an audit, probably someone we don't want to, you know, get in bed with. And then even on the PD side, someone who rushes things to market, approves everything out of the gate. It's kind of the our two passes of if you do that, it's probably not set up for a good partnership. The cost for somebody like Brent to run his versus one of these guys who opens up in a facility down the block is tremendous. I mean, these guys are not testing the raw materials. They're not qualifying their vendors. They're switching things on a daily basis without being allowed to. I can't imagine the amount of work you put behind just, I mean, it's easy for me to say, oh, everybody go to your CMO and audit them, but then they've got to sit there for a day or two sometimes uh, and go through hundreds of these a year. It's, It's crazy. It is a big expense. But look, this is, you know, Dietary supplements is not paint you're putting on a bathroom wall. It's something you're putting in a body. It's a chemical that you're putting in your body. It can affect a lot of things. It's not just, oh, this protein's no good. The fact that it's no good, okay, so you don't get the benefit, but why is it not good? What's in it? Why is it contaminated? What are they putting in it? What are they putting in this other product? What kind of stims are they putting in that they just got from China? You know, all that stuff is not just to say that the product that didn't really work. It's what damage is it doing? You know, we're putting stuff in a body. If I'm a consumer, I want to make sure I know what's in that bottle. If I own a brand and I own Nutribio and I'm going to manufacture a product, I want to know that that product is what I say it is because I don't want to work this company like I just did for 23 years and find out that this company, AVH, had had a really cool website. If you looked at it, it was really nice. And now I'm out of business. So they have to spend that time because they're protecting their brand equity. They're protecting the future of their company. Right. But like you said, it's products that cost more to go to those companies. And any brand owner listening to this, if you go to a company like his and you get a price for $10 for pre-workout and the other guy's using the same formulation for six bucks and you go to the $6 one, you better have a damn good reason why you're going to that $6 one. Because I can guarantee you're going to have ingredients that haven't been tested, that are contaminated, that are garbage that are half expired. I mean, I tell you every day we talk about this, I probably get 15 emails a week for protein that is expired or over expired or the pH is off from ingredients that are near expired. I get three brokers a week calling me for my expired products to right. sell to sell to these, these, these companies. Um, and, that, and that's actually like one interesting thing we've done with um, our modest vertically integrated with a company called Pernova. And what you see is in this, what I saw from the outside in is some contract manufacturers, the intentions aren't bad, but financially the margins aren't that great. So they're making bad decisions. So one of the things we did when we set up this was, yeah, we buy direct, which helps. But at the same time, what Mark was explaining on expiration and products like that, we're very, very much the sticklers. We have a 90 day limit. Once it hits 90 days, if it's generally commodity, not a flavor, 
we can go to Pernova and get it to their distribution before it's even got 75% left of its shelf life. So we're able to do things the right way because we have different outlets as well too. So I think that's different than a lot of contract manufacturers where they don't have an outlet. They sit on it, they sit on it, sit on it, and then they have that decision to make to use it or not. We're never going to put ourselves in that way. Nice. Brent, I have, I have a couple questions. So let's say um, you we're, work, we're a brand and we're going to work with you and we have a new ingredient that you've never used before. Mm-hmm. And uh, something, you know, something new that we've been digging up or whatever. Uh, how, do, who's, whose job is it to like do the due diligence on that ingredient? Do you test it out? Is there an extra fee to bring it into your facility? Like, how does, how does that work? I'm just kind of curious. Well, yeah. Like, it, where is, it, yeah, I mean, where, I'm kind of seeing, trying to find, figure out where the re- responsibilities lie when working with someone like yourself. Yeah, this, I mean, in our facility, it has to be fully approved. We're running NSF for sports. So even anything that's even on the watch list, we can't take in. So if it's not set up, we're not going to use it. But secondly, from a testing perspective, yeah, we can do testing in-house. But if it's something new, particularly if it's got different parameters of testing, we're going to always third party it as well, too. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. And so what about like, let's say I've seen this a lot, actually, like botanicals are particularly ones that, that, that uh, botanicals is the one that we have the most issues with. Mm -hmm. So those, yeah, we can do all the ID testing in house, but I would rather send it out and get comfort level. We'll, we'll test it in house compared to third party as well before we make a decision because botanicals is the one that there's so many different sources and origins that really scare me. Mike, I think you might have been referring to more ingredients that are, we don't know what they are yet. Like when Amcitrate came out and nobody knew what it was and everybody's putting it in their products. Uh, and I think any good manufacturer is not going to use something like that. You have to look and see whether, you know, there's a basis of it for Deshea, whether it can be put in. Both exactly. parties, every single party is involved is going to be liable for that. And we've seen manufacturers go down for that. And we've seen brands go down for using DMA, DHA, SARMs, all, all this kind of stuff. So it's all of these rules and regulations and with Deshea and all are all going to be shared between everybody. Uh, you cannot, and there are other specific rules that the FDA has come out with. You can't take, you, even if I have Brett uh, manufacture for me and I say, okay, I'm going to do the testing for the finished product. And he says, okay, that doesn't take his responsibility for testing before it goes out the door. He's that product leaving his house is not a GMP. If I contract with somebody to take the responsibility of a regulation away, well, that works. Okay. But in the end, if it's not done properly, the responsibility is still on every single party that that's done with. Yeah. Uh, the FDA shares that it's a flow through straight through. And we've, we've lost a lot of business, but I don't look at it as losing business because it's a risk mitigation. Uh, where we get formulas in and it's ingredients that particularly are on the watch list. We don't even go there. It's just not a good place for us. We have no good reason. It's something that could change. So we're ultra conservative. And in some cases there's brands who come in here and won't want to work with us because we're that ultra conservative. So it's been a positive and a negative for us in some ways. Yeah. And that puts another financial burden on. We talked about this with Mark Lowweiner and SARMs. You know, if he was going to farms, he probably could increase his business 30% the last three years from SARMs alone. The profitability was on that was crazy. But a firm like that is not going to use SARMs, puts himself in a bad competitive position against this guy down the block who is not GMP, who's going to take SARMs all day, make 500 bottles for somebody. The margin on that was huge. So you're not using a lot of these ingredients that other companies will do. You're losing that kind of business. So, I mean, to run the proper company, to do it the right way, it, there's a cost behind it. The, the brand owner 
has to be ready to pay that. I mean, I'm not talking three times the price, but the brand owner has to be ready to pay that because it's his future, it's the future of his company and the consumer the same way. But it's funny to me in some ways is like you see some of these brands, they start off in the gray area, they get a little traction, then all of a sudden their formula changes. They like, yeah, you know, oh. the intentions there, they figured out the risk is too much. And it's that's the stuff that frustrates me a little bit is all of a sudden they've gone to compliance. That's we've seen problem. a lot of that the last year. <laughs> no comment on yep. that. We've seen a lot of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. we might be able to sell our company now. We better get in compliance. I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of just. Or, or trying to get into big retailers that actually have regulatory departments. We've had a few come to us to say like, hey, how do we how do we take the next step? Well, you got to be compliant to do that. <laughs> right. Bodybuilding.com has a big team and they're not going to pick you up if you want to take it to that next level. So it seems like there's there's a lot of good outside of the laws themselves. There are a lot of good firewalls within the industry, um, like be it Armada or like a Bodybuilding.com or a GNC vitamin shop where they have they have strict compliance. Obviously, there's ways around it, but I think uh, it makes me it makes me think to answer my own question. If you need more trust there's a really good chance if you're at bodybuilding.com, then you know, you've been under a heavier level of scrutiny than just someone who's like making a, a store on eBay or something like that. So uh, right. just another another firewall in there. So Brent, I have, a, I have a, a little oddball question, but I see a lot of just like what we call supplement math or sometimes like just misspellings on labels. Like I recently saw a beta alanine mislabeled, uh, misspelled. <laughs> if I sent you a label and it had beta alanine misspelled, would you, like, does anyone on your team catch that? Like, are, do you have extra services in place for this? Because I, it well, drives me nuts. How many misspellings I find We are in Tennessee, so we're not very good at spelling. <laughs> but uh, we, we, no, kidding aside, we'll catch that. Um, we have, the way that it works here is we have a regulatory department that um, will review the label. Um, they will give advice to the company, right? Whether it's misspelling or declaration or claims. And then we go back and forth. At the end of the day, we would never run anything that's against compliance. But if there's something that is, um, whether it be like a misspelling or some sort of claim, they can sign indemnification on, on that. And that risk <laughs> lies to them. So um, we're more of a review center than we are a compliance center. But we have people managing compliance. Well, let me, oh, I just want to say some of that because we've had uh, two inspectors here in the past that had a different interpretation of that. Uh, and one time we were actually manufacturing a product that was going out of the country for a friend of mine. It was going overseas. And uh, this was many, many years ago. And the product had some kind of uh, drug claim on it, you know, for cancer. So it wasn't straight out. Uh, and uh, that we were, we were in a lot of trouble for that. Uh, the FDA was coming after that and said, no, you manufacture that product. If, the claim, if there's a label claim or a, a drug claim on that label and you're manufacturing it, you are just as responsible as the party you're manufacturing for. In the end, they realized it was shipping overseas. CFR 111 doesn't, doesn't go to that country, so it was able to go out. But uh, and another, it's another you know, case of interpretation of the inspectors that come in. Uh, look at. Yeah, there's definitely some, some in-between. This is kind of, an, and this is also another oddball question, but one of the ongoing jokes with me and Mike is like these just cringy brands, like like not for pussy pre-workouts. Like there's just ridiculous names that are not professional. They don't make us look good. It, it Honestly, I, I hate that it exists in the industry personally, but uh, as like an upper echelon contract manufacturer, I know you talked about like red flags that make you not want to work with a brand. If you have a label come through that has like naked women and guns on it, like that kind of like there, there's just some ridiculous brands out there that we see on like stack 3d some days is that a partnership that you're going to take on uh, or are you going to relay it off to someone else 
Yeah, that's a, that's a t- <laughs> tough question. Um, I don't want to sound like we're a snooty contract manufacturer. They come off this way. That is generally not a strategic partnership that we can yeah. rely on. We're luckily in a position where we have a nice set of base accounts that trust us that are good volume that we don't have to make rash decisions to take on brands. And also, Mark knows this, developing a product and doing it the right way takes a lot of time and effort. So we actually, it's kind of an interview process in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, People don't, you know, could just come to you and say, hey, we want 5,000 units, your price is great. That's not really the way we look at it. It needs to be more than a one-time run for us. It doesn't make sense because of everything we put into it. So we don't have a, you know, black and white answer to that. but at the same time, none of those kind of brands have really come in into this facility. And they probably yeah. would never even want to come here, to be honest. No, I think it's good. But it, it, in a certain way, you're a bit of a watchdog for the industry. You're making the better quality product. I think we were talking before about like, um, like there's a lot of bad in the industry. We hear a lot of people talking about how much bad there is in the industry. But if you're searching on bodybuilding.com, if you go into a store, like there's a general air that you can feel that there are good people here that want the betterment of the industry. They're not selling SARMs. They're not selling research chemicals. They're selling, you know, Ghost, Nutribio, whatever. And uh, I think that a lot of these, these, they're like gates in the industry that help push quality, whether it's Armada or it's a, a store it's, looking after the best for the consumer. This is, uh, obviously, it's a great time to do, uh, mark's horn but like i came from the ingredient side and i found it really interesting i got access to sell a lot of contract manufacturers you know 12 13 years ago before i started this so you had a good idea of bad cop you know who's right who's not we started doing a little bit of business with mark and it was like great i mean in a sense of learning what a real brand will stand behind we would he would come back and have his team what i should say questions on so many inbounds on the assays and the parameters we were sending and being a you know a huge distributor of amino acids i don't know if we ever got those questions legitimately i think we're like this guy is like a pain in the ass <laughs> but like <laughs> it was more around the parameters and the standards of everything that he set up to spec versus what we were selling and it was refreshing and then we got to see i got to see the other side of the industry so it's been interesting kind of getting going and dealing with brands and contract manufacturers and now running a contract manufacturing facility you have both sides and you know what you want to do. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, it was at the time I don't know if I enjoyed it. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know if that was an insult or a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> it was definitely no, I think there's a problem. Yeah, every single industry has the good, bad, and the ugly, you know? And we're never gonna get rid of the ugly like any other industry. So it's always gonna be there. It's just that the media will pick up on these small things all the time and it'll make it look like like it's everybody. So you know, we really have to kind of bond together when this stuff happens, you know, the industry as a whole and, and push through it and somehow make, you know, turn it around and make it into a better thing because the media never will talk about. I, I highly doubt anybody's going to come up tomorrow in the news and pull up his company and say, well, wow, these guys are doing the right thing. They're not going to do it. They don't care about the right thing. They care about what sells. And that is we mess up one time, you're all over the media. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the challenges we have as a whole. And, uh, yeah, and yeah. that's that's why we're here. I mean, at a point right now where I, knowing what I know and I don't want to like be some gatekeeper who keeps the information. I want to actually get that information out here. And that's why we're here. Knowing what I know now, I actually have more confident and confidence in some of the supplements that I buy, use and own from Nutribio and the ghosts and all of them because I know what's going on behind the scenes. I'm actually more confident than and I'm going to use. Uh, to, to go with the ghost, thing. I'm going to just use Chips Ahoy as an example. I'm more confident that I 
know what goes into the Nutribiome Go supplements, then actually, like, the, I've never seen Chips Ahoy or Nabisco talking about their, their manufacturing facilities. I don't know if they're really, you know, working to spec on the, on the chocolate chips that go into their cookies. And I'm, I'm actually more confident in the supplements from these trusted companies, these trusted manufacturers like yourselves who are doing this type of disclosure than I am with food. And, like, like the eggs I buy, I don't know what those chickens were, were being fed. Like, chickens aren't supposed to be fed soybeans, but they are, you know. And so um, I, I think that we're given this stigma that is completely incorrect if you know how to shop, you know who to look for, you know what brands to know. And it's like now I'm in this industry, I know this stuff. I'm trying to get it, the information out there. Uh, but it, it's obviously a challenge because there's tons of people out there and not everyone's looking at every price plot video. So uh, it, that's, that's definitely a challenge here. But, you know, there, the, the big point is that there are a ton of these laws and there's a lot of – companies that do follow them and you guys disclose more than 99% of food companies. So that's what I think is important. I think the consumers watching should understand 90% of this industry is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, I know brand owners out there, they're real, especially in the last like eight or nine or 10 years. I mean, these guys are coming from other companies, opening brands are really, really sincere about what they're doing. They're really passionate about what they're doing and they're, they're creating great products. They're, they're more transparent than they ever were before. And it seems like a renaissance has gone on the last, not, I wouldn't say 10 years, less even five or six years where new owners are coming in and just creating great, great things and getting great passion for customers. And, and I, think I see the industry is not, you know, this ABH pops up and it's like, oh shit, our industry is dead. No, I see the industry is, that's just a blip. Our industry has gotten so much better the last five years. So the consumer, I think, is in a much better place today than he was five years, 10 years. And, and to kind of add to Mark's number on even saying, you know, 90% of the industry, I think he's exactly right. If you look at the landscape of even contract manufacturers, there's six or seven in the U.S. that are of very large size that I can, for the most part, know without being inside the facility, they're doing the right things in they're taking care of a majority of the market. There's six or seven guys who are $150, $250, million co-mans. So you have then another 50 that are much smaller, running small brands, but it, maybe they're still doing the right thing. But I can tell you the top leaders of this industry running the big brands are generally doing the right thing. Then you have guys like Mark, Optum Nutrition, who control their own destiny too, who I would say are doing the right thing as well. So kind of just backing his point of the majority is is doing the right thing right like a monster brand like Dymatize is too big to be at a rinky dink small manufacturer in the first place so obviously being owned by a big corporation they're going to have due diligence and they need to go to someone who's very very large and you know has has their game together because they have so many SKUs and so much business i think that's actually a good point that maybe we could talk a little bit about uh brent like with the scale of things that you manufacture it's harder to manufacture that kind of scale of product at spec, correct? I mean, could you talk about that at all? Like if you're manufacturing hypothetically for the, the highest selling pre-workout in the, in the market, the, what kind of size lots are, are you coming out for those and how much harder is it to do that to spec? Uh, I wouldn't say it's any harder to do to spec. Um, we take a pretty conservative stance as, you know, we have a pre-workout that sells a lot that they give you 50 to 100,000 unit runs, same flavor. We basically break them into 10,000. Okay. Uh, basically, that's what we can run per shift, but also from a traceability, of, you know, from a recall perspective, it brings things down, mitigates the risk mm. of control. And you're also, from batch sizes, we have uniform batch sizes that we can form to these pre-workouts that go in down to X amount of units. So you can backtrack even further, right? So there's traceability all the way down. Cool. 
the whole thing uh, about GMPs when the FDA comes in is if people don't realize this. If I, you've been in my in the facility, you see we have rules and regulations and our SOPs that are not even required. When the when the FDA comes in, they will audit those as well. It's not just that they want to see what's happening in the CFRs. They want to see you're doing what you're saying you're doing, but the process is repeated the exact, the exact same way every time. That's how you get one mm -hmm. lot after another lot after another lot, repeatable meeting spec. So it's those processes that you have that you've proven them over and over again. You have critical control points along the way that it doesn't matter how big or how many lots you're actually doing. It should be the same each time. And that's what's cool about some of the FDA audits that we have is that's more what they're looking for than just seeing if you did A, B, or C. They're looking for that repeatability, the training. Are your employees trained? Are the SOPs there? Are they doing it every single time? And that's how you get a great product every single yep. time. And that, yeah, exactly right. We spend more time, it seems, when they come in here now because I think they're – at surface level, they're comfortable with an armada or companies like that. They're digging into, say, corrective action or even, say, like out of spec, how you handle that and you uniformity each time, how you document and what you do yeah. with that material to that level, right? So it's kind of funny. Is like the good guys, I feel like they get down to the micro level and really focus even the nitty gritty where sometimes they're spending so much money, so much time, it's just kind of the high level. Yeah, I think the direct link, uh, quote with the indictment was that they failed to show that they were able to even test one inbound ingredient. Like it was very, very macro level as yeah. opposed to what you're talking about here. Awesome. Yeah. Well, do we have any like final statements on this? I mean, what, what are you guys looking for in the next coming weeks from this? How, what's the best way to improve the industry as a whole in simple steps without, you know, Brent throwing so much at marketing and, and obviously Nutribout can keep manufacturing their own thing. But would you say that the, the onus is on small brands to do their own due diligence to improve the status of the industry? I think my hope right now is it doesn't go viral and, and get into the media. It's hit all the insiders, all the brand owners. It's hitting everybody hard. They're, they're looking. And I'm hoping that they're going to learn from this and realize, okay, it is my responsibility you know, to understand what's going on with compliance and make sure that my product complies. Because now I, you know, from the article I wrote yesterday, people should read that they understand that they can have that products that they've been selling for years. And an audit comes to their facility that they don't even, they've ever, never even been in, their contract manufacturer, and that product can be recalled at any time. So I think right now the whole thing is on uh, the brand owners to look at this whole thing, to look at this and say, okay, I'm going to look at my contract manufacturer now. And you might see a lot of shifting. You might see a lot of these guys leaving these small little contract manufacturers who are doing nothing and, and shifting to somebody who's doing it. I think that's where we have to focus right now. We're not going to get rid of those little contract manufacturers. We can say right. all we want. The media can do all they want. They're going to close up and like roaches open up somewhere else. It's, it's the brand owners that have to make that decision right now. And they should make that decision because it's their livelihood. It's everything. You can look at somebody like Dan. Look at, look at what he's built in the last. How many years has he been out? Four. four. What he's done in four years. Where is he going to be in 10 years? I don't know. Just <laughs> one little thing. He just never went over to Armada and took a look. He just trusted him. But he doesn't. He does the compliance that he needs to do. That's that's what we need to fix right now. Awesome. Yeah, I think that was well put. I think, um, yeah, there needs to be a little bit of ownership to the brands, but I also think just continuing in this industry, the transparency model from how it started from transparency of formulas, but I also think visibility to where products are being made. Take, for example, you make a product for the EU. It has to have an EU plant number on it. Why can't we have more traceability to that? I'm not saying every consumer is going to care, but for the ones who do, why not? And track it back and put some onus on 
to the brands, where are they getting their product made at, right? So that's the one thing I, I've been asking for. for. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the requirement is all that only has to say distributed or manufactured and then have a, I think it doesn't even need a street address on it. It just has to have the city and state. So we don't even know. I'll share a distributors I'll share one, what's good, going. one good story about how this industry kind of works sometimes, though, is we had a, um, I won't say the brand, but I think they understood how they wanted to be transparent. They came in and played a partnership with us. Like they're going to go down the road and use us a lot. Came and did production the first run. And then literally like uh, videoed everything outside of our building and actually turned the outside of our building into their brand colors. <laughs> pretend that they were actually like they were manufacturing their own product. Right. Then next second run, we didn't see them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I that some of the times, but that's where it's great is if there was some transparency, they could go quickly see where that plant's being, you know, where they're being made yeah, at. Right. So I would love that. Not saying it's going to happen, but for us, it would uh, help us a lot. I would tell any brand owner, the first thing you do is at least take a plane ride and look at it yourself, even before you hire somebody compliance, because you can walk through a lot of these facilities. You saw the story I put down of the, of the contract manufacturer I walked into his website showed it. 50,000 square facility. It was 2,000 feet with a guy no gloves on, black marketing, gray marketing other people's products. I walked in, it took me two seconds to realize what was going on. So, I mean, I see one down the block, the blender sitting outside. I looked in there, I'm like, holy shit, look at the manufacturing here. So, if I was a brand owner right now, the first thing I would do I, tomorrow is I just take take my first trip over to my manufacturer, walk around, get a tour. Because you could probably get rid figure out right. I mean, that's not a compliance, you know, audit, but you're going to say, holy crap, the guy's. Mercedes and this guy's Mercedes was sitting right next to where they were packaging the product. Uh, and then if you think that it's the right place, then start your audit and see what's going on. <laughs> well, I say a lot, a lot of these consumers want to know where your stuff is manufactured. And a lot of these manufacturers have, like, like you said, Mark, have really pretty websites. Like there's no way these consumers would know, be able to figure out is this a good manufacturer or not. So uh, I'm hoping that a lot more brands do the due diligence of flying out soon. Um, I, I, I think a lot of your perception of the industry has to do with what where you are, though. Um, I know Mike and I feel really, really good about the quality of the industry, but a lot of the sales reps or the you know the people in the industry that spend a lot of time with these smaller companies that are a little bit more gray have a way darker view of where the industry is right now. Um, so I think it's a lot about who the people you're around. I, I fully believe that this industry is improving vastly. Mm -hmm. From you know my first days at Nutribio, before that when I was in GNC Vitamin Shop, I. I, I saw a lot of bad brands on an everyday basis. Cool. Well, it's definitely, definitely improving. If the consumer takes any take-home message from this, is absolutely. Whatever they're getting today overall is better than they were getting 5, 10, 15 years ago in every aspect. Awesome. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, I, one last comment for for the consumer's point of view is if you really want to want to go with someone that is trusted, uh, informed choice, informed for sport testing is typically done at facilities that aren't going to bring in any banned substances. So that's uh, that's another thing that you can look for on the label. It might cost a little bit more, but then you know it's been uh, you know tested for drug you know. Uh, drug tested athletes and everything so even mainstream consumers can benefit from that type of thing uh bscg 
is another uh, label kind of logo that does, I think, even more testing. So they, uh, so there, there are a couple other things you could look for if you're if you're really looking for it. But but gentlemen, I, I this I think has been incredible. We do have a blog post about this where you could uh, you could see that indictment. You could see uh, you know there's a PDF that you know it's very large that the uh, the Department of Justice put down on this. So you can see what they're doing. Uh, but the real gems to me are in the in the comment section. I've been dropping comments to Mark Glazier's Facebook page when he puts out information about this, um, various things, tips and tricks, what brands should look for and everything. So check out the comments and discussion area from our forum where I've been adding these comments because uh, you know, linking out to Mark's Facebook page has been incredible. There's some really, really, really good discussions going on on Mark's page about this right now. So thank you, thank you guys so much. Uh, I don't really have anything else to add, but I'm excited to get this information out there just you know both for the consumers and for uh the small brand owners and anyone who's interested in this industry it's uh yeah i i, I share the same sentiments i think we really are getting a lot better and it's happening fast and uh it's just been a few nudges from the government and a lot of it's been self-police so i think it's a, it's been a good thing cool. awesome well thank you guys so much i hope to get an invite down there one day Let's see I'm waiting for you. Come on down anytime. And and that's going to be a challenge. Place. We're going to oh, we're coming to film. You learned so much just by looking at stuff, stuff like that. I'd love to do it. Yeah, no, let's definitely arrange something. I'd love you to come here. It's, uh, it would be great to collaborate on something. Awesome, man. All right, guys. All right, thanks Thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. See you.